this is Tyler Long for Bill Russo's Short Story Theater. Join us now for a trip back in time, to a place off the coast of Massachusetts. It is the quirky island of Cape Cod in the 1950s, where if you needed something done there was only one man to see, Gable Stone, services rendered. Gable Stone's office was on leftover Main Street, that is a part of the city of Hyannis, where you should never be, after dark. They call it leftover Main because it is at the far end of busy Main Street. It is a place where the tourists never go. It is home to the area's seediest bars, pawn shops, dusty thrift stores, houses of ill repute. And back in the 1950s, it was the home base of Gable Stone, the one man to see, when you needed something done. The office of Gable Stone was in a dingy storefront with dirty windows, next to the seedy, downtown tap where beer was still a quarter, and the ladies of the night, were not much more. The locals called the Soiled Doves, who patrolled leftover Maine, quarterbacks. They were called quarterbacks, not because of their ability with a football, but because a quarter was all it took, to get them, on their backs. The sign above Gablestone's place of business was a faded canvas canopy. The ragged letters of the sign, had four words only. Gablestone services rendered. That's it. Just Gable Stone, services rendered. The locals knew what it meant. If you needed something done you contacted, Gabe Stone. Like his name, Stone was a hard man, less than 5 feet 8 inches tall, he barely weighed 150 pounds, but everybody who knew him, knew that every single one of those 150 pounds, was like a stick of dynamite. Gable Stone was a mortal man. That's a fact. He had no superpowers, of that I am certain. But I am also sure that when he went into action, Gable Stone did have powers, and abilities, far beyond men three times his size. During my many years on Cape Cod, there were a number of times when I needed the services of Gable Stone. And he never failed to get results. Quickly and efficiently. But today's story is not about a time that I needed Gable Stone's services, it is instead an accounting of when the mob, in Boston's North End, needed Gabe's services, to stop a war that was threatening to break out between the Boston mob, and the gangs of New York. The time is 30 minutes past 9 on a Friday night. The place is the Akimbo Billiard Academy, known on Cape Cod as the ABA. It's located on Leftover, Maine, just a few doors down from Gable Stone's headquarters. The ABA closes at 9, and it is closed tonight, and the front door is locked. But inside, there's a special game going on, with just two players, and it is worth $10,000 to the winner. There are just four people in the Billiard Academy. The two players, Gable Stone, who is acting as the referee and the holder of the money, and Arms Akimbo, the one-armed owner of the dimly lit pool hall on leftover Main Street. There's total silence in Arms Akimbo's building, which has six pool tables. They stretch single file, from the front to the back, of the long, narrow billiard parlor. The only light comes from the twin lamps that are suspended over each table. Since only one table is being used, 
all the other lights are out, even the one over the cash register, at the counter, in the front of the store. The game is being played at the sixth and last table in the back of the pool hall. It's the best table in the house, and arms will only let the best players use it. The two players aren't very good at pool, but they have other qualities that Arms Akimbo admires even more than skill in billiards. A ton of money. And the thousand dollars. They paid him for using his pool hall, for about an hour, was more than he could make in many weeks, at his usual charge, of ten cents a game. Instead of being worth ten cents, this is a big stakes game. It is for $10,000. Winner take all. The players are Johnny Bartolomeo, one of the top executives of the mob in Boston's North End. And Weldon Whippet, a well-known high-stakes gambler from Las Vegas, the rapidly expanding city sprouting out of the desert in Nevada. Three weeks before their meeting in the pool hall on Leftover Main, in Cape Cod, Weldon Whippet lost $5,000 in a poker game in Boston to Johnny Bartolomeo. Instead of paying off, he challenged the Boston mob boss to a double or nothing game of eight ball. If he won, he would owe Bartolomeo nothing, and if he lost, he would pay the Boston crime don the $10,000. The game so far is about even. Weldon Whippet has to sink the seven solid colored balls, numbered from one to seven. And Johnny B must sink the seven strike balls, numbering from nine to 15. The first man to sink his seven balls gets to shoot at the eight ball. If he knocks it in the pocket, he wins. If not, the other guy gets another shot. The first player to sink his seven balls and then pocket the eight ball is the winner. That was a great shot by Johnny Bartolomeo. He had the striped balls and had pocketed all seven of them, and he just sank the eight ball to win the game in the $10,000. Let's move our microphone down to the back of the pool hall by table number six so that you can hear what's going on. Congratulations, Johnny. You've won the 10 grand. In a minute, Gablestone will give you the dough. But first, I want to restate the conditions that you and Weldon Whippet agreed to when you came here to my pool hall to play your game in neutral territory. Okay, arms, we'll make it snappy. I want to be back in Boston by midnight. It's summertime. And as much as I like that cool breeze you guys got here on Cape Cod blowing in from Nantucket Sound, I want to be out of Cape Cod and get back to the North End. I got an important meeting coming up in Hanover Street tomorrow. And I want to get back in time to get some sleep before talking to those leaders of the New York mob. They want to start doing some business with us, but I'm against it. I'm against it, but I told them I'll listen to what they got to say, and the meeting is set for tomorrow at noontime. You'll be on your way in a minute, Johnny. As we agreed, Gablestone is holding the cash, and he will hand it over in a few seconds.
You can leave right after you get the dough. I will now read the contract that you both signed, so it will be clear what you and Weldon Whippet agreed to. The contract says that the two players will arrive in separate cars and will have no other people with them, no bodyguards, no drivers, and no other associates. I hired Gable Stone to be the referee, as well as the holder of the stakes. It was agreed that the match would consist of one game of eight ball, winner take all. The winner gets the $10,000 and can leave immediately after the match. The loser has to stay on Cape Cod and have a late night dinner of ravioli and meatballs and wine from Freddy Spaghetti's House of Pizza and further the loser agrees to stay inside the pool hall for 13 hours before going back to Boston. That's the statement. Do you both agree? Yeah, that's what we said. I still agree. That's what we said. What about you, Weldon Whippet? You agree too? Sure. I still agree. That's what we signed up for. I lost the game, fair and square, and I'll stay here on Cape Cod for 13 hours before I go back to Beantown. Was in half and half an hour, and I was feeling so sad. Shortly before midnight, Johnny B, the head of the Boston mob, got in a shiny black, brand new. Series 2, Cadillac Eldorado. It had sweeping fins in the back and dual exhausts, along with a wraparound windshield in the front and bold, gullwing front bumpers. The car also came with air conditioning and the new hydromatic drive, which meant no more shifting the gears. The huge overhead valve V8 engine could propel the caddy from 0 to 60 in about 17 seconds. After Johnny crossed over the Sagamore Bridge, which connects the island of Cape Cod to mainland Massachusetts, he pulled over to the side of the road where two more black Cadillacs were parked. Inside were four of his lieutenants, plus his driver. After a quick conference, Johnny moved to the back seat of his caddy, and the driver took over. The three black, Series 2 Eldorados headed for Boston and arrived at mob headquarters on Hanover Street just before 2 a.m. The next morning, Johnny Bartolomeo was up early, preparing for the noontime meeting with the New York mob. Welcome to Boston, gentlemen. You have expressed interest in joining with us in some business ventures. Now you did this even though you know that I am opposed to getting involved in the drug business. As long as I am in charge of the Boston mob, we will never, I say never, never get involved with drugs. Now I know that the New York mob is making plenty of dough from drugs, but I want no part of it. Now, knowing this, what is it that you wish to say to me?
Headlines of the Boston papers screamed out. Mob boss murdered in his own house. Killer gets away with 10 grand. The members of the Boston mob were outraged at the killing. Johnny was a well-liked boss. He treated his men well and was considered a gentleman of crime. He didn't allow women to be mistreated. He made his money from various crooked enterprises, but he never allowed any of his mob to be mixed up in drug deals. He was firmly opposed to drug use and to the drug trade. He was a large contributor to many charities. The newspapers went so far as to say that, although Johnny was a hood, he was a Robin Hood, and even the people he was Robin agreed that there was a good side to the Robin Hood of the North End. Suspicion in Boston naturally ran towards the gambler, Weldon Whippet, who quickly went back to leftover Maine in Hyannis, and sought out Gable Stone for help. I have come to you, Gabe, because the guys in Boston think I knocked off Johnny. I don't carry a gun. I've never even shot one. I am a gambler. I know the odds. I have a certain number of wins and a certain number of losses, but I always end up making money. I didn't mind losing the 10 Gs. If Johnny wasn't killed, I probably would have won back most of my dough in the next couple of poker games. Johnny used to drink too much when he played poker. The secret to beating him in a card game was to play carefully for the first few hours and wait until the drinks got to him. After he was stewed, he made a lot of mistakes, and it was easy to take a grand or two away from him. And how could I have killed him? Gabe? You made the rule that the loser had to stay on Cape Cod for 13 hours after the game ended. I was still on Cape Cod when he was bumped off. Gabe, I want to hire you to investigate this and clear me with the Boston mob. I will hide out in Cape Cod until you've got everything straightened out. Here's a retainer of $2,000. And when it runs out, I'll give you another two Gs. Gabe, I don't care what it costs. I want you to clear me. Gabe Stone believed that Weldon Whippet was not involved in the killing. And he figured the best way to start his investigation was to go to Boston and interview the three men who were in the room when Johnny B was rubbed out. One of them had to be the killer. But when he arrived in Little Italy, he found that the two New York mobsters had returned to their own territory. He also learned that the third man in the room Carmine Accomando was nowhere to be found. Accomando was one of Johnny's top lieutenants and was one of the very few people who knew all of the details of the $10,000 game of pool on Cape Cod. He also lived in Johnny's four-story brick mansion on Hanover Street. Gabe headed for Boston to investigate. One of the first gang members he talked to was Gino Morelli. Gino was one level below Carmine Accomando in the pecking order of the New England mob. Come on! The door isn't locked! 
Hello Gino, I'm Gable Stone, of Services Rendered, Cape Cod. I'm conducting an independent investigation into the murder of Johnny Bartolomeo. I'd like to speak to his top lieutenant, Carmine Accomando. Yeah, so would a lot of other people, Gabe. But Carmine is nowhere to be found. He hasn't been seen here in Little Italy since the night Johnny B was gunned down. Do you think the New York boys blasted Johnny and then also gunned Carmine too? No, I'm pretty sure that he decided to blow down, but I don't know why. I was here the night Johnny was killed, and I was the first guy in the room after the shots were fired. Carmine and the two New York guys were still sitting in their chairs around the conference table. There were no guns in sight. Johnny's head was on the table, just like he was taking a nap. I rushed over to check him. He was dead. He got hit by one shot and was dead center in the middle of his head, just above his eyes. He probably died instantly. I asked Carmine what happened and he said, Never mind about this, Gino. I will take care of it. I want you to personally go over to the Undertaker, Martino Ganner's house, and get him to take care of Johnny. Meanwhile, I will take care of the New York boys. So, I figured Carmine was gonna rub out the Empire State guys. But I realize now that he was just trying to get rid of me. But I don't know why. Well, Gino, it looks like Carmine was working with the New York mob. You guys frisked them before they entered into the conference room. They didn't have any guns. But you never searched your own guy, Carmine. Obviously he had a gun, and he used it to kill Johnny B. Either that, or he passed it under the table to one of the New York guys, who then used it to plug Johnny. But what reason would Carmine have to turn Trigger to Boston and line up with the Empire State Bunch? Well, there is one thing. It just occurred to me, Gabe. Carmine is not Sicilian like most of us in the Boston organization. Almost all of us guys in Boston are first-generation Americans. Our parents came from Sicily, which is an island just off the coast of Italy. But Carmine's parents came from Calabria, and the Calabridge and the Sicilians don't much like each other. Calabria is considered the boot of Italy, and when it kicks, its heavy foot lands on Sicily. A lot of us didn't like Carmine, but he was very smart and funny too. The Don, Johnny Bartolomeo, always laughed at Carmine's jokes and loved having him around. Find Carmine Accomando and you will find the Don's killer and the $10,000. But where will I find him? Well, Gabe, you probably know that the Boston organization and the New York mob don't get along. And a big part of the reason is that the New Yorkers are mostly descended from people of Calabria. They are our natural enemies. So since Carmine's parents were from Calabria, you need to go to New York, and you probably will find out that they are sheltering him. Thanks for the information, Gino. You know, I think between the two of us, we could find out who killed Johnny B.
We can clear Weldon Whippet, and at the same time, probably avert a major mob war between Boston and New York. My car's outside. Come to New York with me, and we'll find out who the killer is. We'll be there in just a few minutes, Gabe. We've got to go over the Brooklyn Bridge. You'll see it pretty soon. That will empty us out into Manhattan. And then we just have to go to Mulberry Street in the middle of Little Italy. That's where the New York mob has its headquarters. So, when we get there, I'm going to set up a meeting with the top bosses. I'll explain that I'm taking over the Boston mob, and you are going to pose as a second-generation Italian named Gabo Stoniano. And I will tell them that you're my new second in command. We'll set up some peace talks and nose around until we find something. At mob headquarters in Little Italy, Gino and Gabe are quickly accepted by the New York mob. But when they ask if anyone knows Carmine, they hit a stone wall. But after spending a bundle of cash buying drinks for a small-time hood named Lorenzo Lombardo, they finally get the lowdown on Carmine Accomando. Turns out that Carmine changed his name when he went to New York. He assumed the last name Russo, which is one of the most common names in Sicily as well as in Calabria. Gable Stone, under the assumed name Gabo Stoniano, learns that Carmine Accomando, now calling himself Russo, has recently become the leader of a neighborhood gang on Houston Street. The gang is not officially part of the New York mob, but has a working relationship with the main group. Gabe infiltrates that mob and secretly takes a picture of the man calling himself Russo. Gino Morello confirms that Russo is actually Carmine Accomando. And half an hour. And I was feeling so sad. Gabe and Gino spread some money around to gain information. And that quickly led them to a dingy little flat on the fifth floor of a building in Mulberry Street, in the very heart of New York's Little Italy. Where they found Russo Accomando. We're not going to rub you out, Carmine, unless we have to. We know that you killed Johnny B. Now, what you have to do, if you want to walk out of here alive, is to cough up the 10,000 bucks you took off of Johnny. And then sign a written confession that you rubbed him out. It was an accident, Chino. I had a gun and I was ready to knock off the two New York guys. I was aiming at one of them, and Johnny moved, just as I was firing. I got the 10 G's and I will give it to you. And I'll sign the confession. Of course you will. Cause you're a dirty rat. And I am sorely tempted to blast you right between the eyes. But maybe it is better to let you live. Because now everybody in Beantown is going to know that it was you who killed the Don. But you can hide out from the Boston mob by staying here in New York. Nobody's gonna come to New York to get you. Because we don't want to start a war between the top two mobs in the Northeast. You don't know me, Carmine. I'm Gabe Stone, 
Walden Whippet hired me to clear his name because he was being blamed for shooting Johnny B. I am going to bind you hand and foot to a chair with ropes. Then Gino and I will leave. But we will call the New York mob in one hour and tell them where you are. They will come and rescue you, and we'll go back to Boston. Remember this, Carmine. Everybody in Beantown is going to know that you killed Johnny. But like Gino said, you'll be safe from the Boston mob, because Beantown doesn't want to go to war with New York. Gino, we're back in Boston. The news has already gotten here. Everybody knows that the rat, Carmine Accomando, killed Johnny. Walden Whippet has come out of hiding in Cape Cod, and he's going to open an illegal gambling casino in the North End. Business will be good. Thanks for going to New York with me, Gino. I was glad to do it, Gabe. So, I've got a telegram waiting for me. I wonder who it's from. I'm going to open it up. Hey Gabe, it's a note from the mob in Little Italy in New York. It says that they have sent three copies of this telegram. One to Gable Stone, services rendered, Kate Cod, and a second to Arms Akimbo, the one-armed owner of Akimbo Billiard Academy on Leftover Main in Hyannis, and the third to me, Gino Morello Hanover Street, North End, Boston. Gino, what's it say? It says, gentlemen, we regret to inform you of the death of a former citizen of your community, Carmine Accomando. He recently had a fatal accident while cleaning his gun, resulting in 26 bullets being lodged into his head and various other body parts. The businessmen of Little Italy and New York send condolences and assure you that rats need to be exterminated. Wherever they are found, rats need to be eliminated. And it does not matter whether the rats are from Calabria or Sicily. All rats must die. It's signed by the head of the New York organization, Salvatore Marciano. Wasn't half and half an hour And I was feeling so sad Wasn't half and half an hour 
You've been listening to From the 8 Ball to 26 Bullets, featuring Gable Stone. This has been a presentation of Bill Russo's Short Story Theater. The play was written and directed by Bill Russo. The music was Half Men by Lobo Loco. Half Men is available at no charge from the Free Music Archive. Listen to Bill Russo's Short Story Theater on all podcast sites from Apple and Amazon to Zebra. Many of our programs are also featured on YouTube. If you like our shows, please like us on Facebook and YouTube. And most importantly, please come back again soon. Won't you?